Hey everyone. So welcome to the next Q&A. So we are going to talk about how, why we derail ourselves um, or how can we stop actually derailing ourselves as kind of one of the big things that a lot of people can do and it's understanding why we do it. Because it's not necessarily like one meal is not going to derail anyone unless they allow it. Two meals is not going to derail anyone unless they allow it. Three meals is not going to derail anyone unless they allow it. So it's either a sign that someone's still in that restrictive mindset. It's in a sign of that they don't want to let go of restriction. It's a sign that like your diet's not a train. It cannot be derailed. It cannot be derailed. Um, generally, it's the approach that's the issue or the mindset or the relationship with food is the issue. So one of the, the the big things with kind of the element of kind of like people saying I've derailed myself or I've self-sabotaged myself or I pressed the fuck it button or the clinical word for that is the what the hell effect is what the clinical term for, for the fuck it button. People use that language as a way to almost like justify their actions, as a way to kind of almost understand what they have done rather than actually saying like what why have i done that why do i need to do this why like under identifying the triggers so looking to label it like we're in a world now where people don't want to be labeled um but people are looking to label what they have done and looking for a word to kind of almost justify that what they have done or their actions so a typical example of what i see on a daily basis when i start off with clients in the first couple of weeks is depending on if they're like counting calories or not counting calories, not all my one-to-one, like 90% or about 80% of my one-to-ones don't count calories. 20% do because they're in the, the place to do so. Some people are not, and that's cool. Um, The big thing is that's kind of driving that uh, need is that element of perfectionism. So a lot of people can like, can, can, it's like it's a really, really high impossible standard that you can't reach up, reach up to that you can never get to. And it's accelerating those kind of like eat, repent, repeat cycle that a lot of people can kind of have. So you need to look at why why you may have perfectionists because you're not a perfectionist. That's a big sentence. You're not a perfectionist. That's a way to justify your actions. What can happen is you may have perfectionist tendencies. Two very, very different things. One is a label and you identify and act like that thing. Or one is you need, you, you're aware of why you do things and you're taking a step back and, and kind of moving forward. So a typical example of someone who may struggle with perfectionism is someone who sets really high standards and unrealistic goals, invests a lot of time and energy to meet their impossibly high standards. They measure their self-worth by their accomplishments and productivity are very, very overly critical, concerned about how others value it, value them, fear that others will reject them, may put a lot of pressures on others to kind of be perfect too, like family, kids, whatever it may be. The element of kind of difficulty seeing things through as well, and then may have that fear of kind of failure can be driving people as well. And that might strike a chord for some of you here, but how can that interact with the element of around food? It can take up so much time and energy and leaving a lot of a very little time for self-care. So if you were to look at your day right now, an awful lot of people 
particularly parents can find an awful lot of difficulty trying to find time for themselves, which can be self-care. And I know an awful lot of you challenged that this week based off what the check-ins that were given in last week and kind of brought in that kind of right, this is my 20, 30 minutes for me. It may feel uncomfortable, but that's just self-worth talking. But once you kind of change that narrative and actually action what you want to do a little bit more, that voice dampens. You eat to reduce stress or relieve anxiety is one thing. You use food to console yourself because you feel unsafe. You're constantly looking for that perfect body, whatever that flip that is. Uh, you might expect yourselves to eat perfectly all the time and you're not allowed to have a takeaway. You're not allowed to have chocolate. You're not allowed to have carbs. You're not allowed to have fruit. You're not allowed to have fats. Kind of like what hell food is left? Like when I talk to clients on the welcome calls from my one-to-ones, we go through the list and say like, well, what foods are left? And then there's this awkward chuckle on the other end of the call. You're kind of like, but what foods are left? If you've rules up for every single one of them, what foods, what foods can you have? So it's about adjusting that all or nothing mindset, all or, not, all or nothing thinking. You spend a lot of effort hiding, overeating, or to kind of put up a facade to other people. That's tiring. You may struggle with shame and guilt about kind of a double life and caring what other people think, saying, right, Am I having this to fit in? Am I, having, am I being Salad Susan to fit in with society? Are you projecting on how you feel about yourself onto other people? Like, oh, I identify as someone who's overweight, even though it's the least interesting thing about you, that because if someone sees me eating a pizza, that person over there who I've never met before in my life is going to create a story that I'm fat because of that pizza. They're the type of stories that are created about ourselves. You live in a life of you kind of fear of people discovering your secret or whatever it may be, and you feel you're not good enough. And a lot of people can't, unfortunately, def de de define what good enough is. What is good enough? Like if I was asking you right now what good enough is, not many people can do it, unfortunately. So if, we're, if we don't feel we're good enough, if we don't know what it is, what are we striving for? So we need to look at one, one of the big tools that I work with clients on a daily basis, particularly the one-to-one -one clients, if they come from this kind of element of perfection, they're high achievers in work, would be a prime example of someone who would come from, have that perfection tendency, that it's the one thing that they've been able to control in their lives, but dealing with stress, overwhelm, putting everyone else first has been on their prior priority list. And it's looking at what is good enough for you. So write out what a perfect week looks like for training with nutrition and uh, training, and then look at a different side of the page and write out what a good enough week looks like with training and nutrition. So a perfect week could be I had five sessions, I had 10,000 steps every day, had protein with every single meal, and got nine hours sleep every single night. Now, how often do they actually happen? Let's be honest. So a good enough week for you could be I hit the gym twice this week. I, had, I went for a walk four times this week. And I got to sleep seven hours. See the less pressure there is on you to actually succeed with that. So it's about looking at your expectations before you go into it. If you go into any, if you've come into this believing this is going to like, you're going to drop all these things that you have about you. No, it will make you challenge them. Don't get me wrong. But it's about no, about having that awareness of, of the triggers and the tools that you have around you. So like with eating, it's, it's impossible to be perfect with food because perfection for me will be completely different for you. 
to how can we strive for something that's like completely up to the in person? Think about it. So like I had a takeaway on Sunday. Now people will be like, oh, you're a nutritionist, you're a PT, should you eat eating that? I'm like, yeah, I will be eating that. Why? Because I wanted to. I was trying to get energy back into my body after playing three football matches in seven days. Um, I was not in a good place on Sunday from a physical point of view. So I needed to get energy into my body. I also didn't want to cook. It wasn't that I earned it. It wasn't that I deserved it. It wasn't that anything like that. I was just like, right, it fitted into what I needed at that time. But the difference is I didn't guilt or shame myself afterwards. I allowed myself to have it. Did I have too much? Probably. Uh, do I regret it? No. Two very different things. Two very different mindsets going into it and out of it. So one meal can't be ready. That's why I've brought in the weekly calorie average for those who are tracking. If you include your night out, you include your drinks, or you include your, your takeaway into your actual calories, even if it's a guess, it's better than not counting at all. Those who don't count, it's kind of like going to an accountant and only giving them your income and not giving them your expenses. So like you're, you're almost cutting the learning curve by not counting those days. You're only giving me the highlight reel. It's kidding yourself and it's kidding, it's kidding the whole journey. So like my, my fitness pal and counting calories is only ever a short-term solution anyway. It should only be done as a short-term thing. It should it's not forever. But as a learning tool, as an education tool in the right hands. But it's about if you're actually are going out for meals, it can bring awareness and say, right, this is how many calories this is in it. It's a guesstimate. That's all that it is. But it can't derail you. We, we may derail ourselves because we choose to, because we're not matching up to the expectation. So what's the point? Other things with perfection is you have food rules. You have this need to get it right all the time. And instead of having this flexible approach or the self-acceptance approach when you have eaten that little bit more, it can be hard to shake that mindset. But that's belief of the, the restriction mindset that's at play. So with the, with the exercise side of things and the perfection side of things, no person has the perfect schedule. No person has the perfect kind of like everything regimented. Like some people do. If you look at my calendar, I know what I'm doing for the rest of the day. I know what I'm doing for the rest of the week. Like I know before I came on with you guys, I needed to get to the gym by a certain time to be able to get back here and have eaten something so you guys get the best version of me on these calls. Because that works for me. So I started a little bit earlier at work, went for my training session, came back, have eaten, and now I'm back on with yous and finishing off your check-ins for the rest of the day. And that's not always possible. But if I do it majority of the time, it's going to get me to the majority of my goal. But too many people are fixed at the one day that comes in because they bring in that emotional element of it. A lot of people get overwhelmed by trying to do everything all at once and end up doing nothing, so they give up, which is the perfection thing. We restrict ourselves because we believe that's the only way to do it, which is the perfection thing. We are, we are very reactive rather than being proactive. We react with our emotions after we've eaten and said, well, what's the hell here? I've eaten now. I feel lousy. What's the hell? I'm just going to derail the whole week. That's a choice. 
But if you actually took a step back and say, all right, what do I actually need to do here? What's the next step that's going to help me to get up to my goal? Is it going to go for a walk? Is it getting water into you? Is it just resetting and winning the next meal? That's all in your control. And from working with over a thousand people at this stage, most people are looking for control, but they just outsource it to food. Because the food is the one thing that's been constant in their life. So they, they lean on that a little bit more. The food's never the issue. It's how we see ourselves is projected onto the food. So if we think about it right now, like if you say you can't have a takeaway all week and then you have the takeaway on a Saturday or the Sunday, you judge yourself as good or bad. So when you judge yourself as bad, that food is up on a pedestal. So when, you say, when you've had that food, you say, I've been a bad person now, so I don't deserve to feel like I want to. I don't deserve to continue what I'm doing. I don't deserve to continue what I'm doing. So I'm going to eat everything around me now in order to soothe myself because I feel shame. And then it spirals and spirals and spirals. And that's going to hit home for an awful lot of you, unfortunately. But you can't be good or bad. Remember, Putin's a bad person. You're not a bad person for having cake or a few drinks. It's called life. It's called life. The irony behind dropping perfectionism is you rediscover actually what food is and the enjoyment behind food. When you actually start to kind of begin working with a lot of, like a lot of you are, is healing your relationship with food and how you understand and what works for you, life will change. But if every time you potentially overeat and you react and say, well, this affect this, I'm going to eat everything now, that's very, very different. That's harmful. That's self-implosion. But if you took a step back and say, right, what can I do right now? Take away, take a step back from emotion. React less emotionally. It can be hard to do because you need to be aware and awareness is a unique tool. Like if I ask someone now watching this or listening to this the podcast, how are you actually feeling? Someone would struggle to, unfortunately, to name how they're actually feeling. Someone would say, fine. Well, fine is not a feeling. Content, it's not a feeling. Sad, happy, all these kind of things. Fat's not a feeling. It's how we see ourselves. Self-worth. So if we see ourselves as certain things and then we create a story about a certain food, we attach that how we feel. Oh, I've had a pizza, so I'm a fat person, so I'm, I must be fat because I'm eating this pizza because of what other people are going to be thinking. Those types of irrational stories come into our psyche to protect us from actually doing what we want to do as individuals. So it's, you, it's, not, it's not necessarily the food derailing. It's not the one meal. It's not the two meals. It's not the three meals. It's six inches between your two years that derails you because there's so much unwiring to do for so many. But you do choose how you react. There's an inner voice ramps up for some people as well. Like an inner bully. When that, when that ramps up. But if we listen to the little, it's kind of like having the devil and the angel on the shoulders. We don't listen to the devil all the time. Like if you ran, if you were at the traffic lights there across from outside there, you wouldn't run across the road because the rational voice would come in. If you got a flat tire on your car, the rational voice will kick in and say, I'm not going to slash all my tires. If you overspend your money one day, you're not going to spend all the rest of your money 
for their for the whole month in one day you may but i guarantee most people wouldn't but it's the exact same thing it's the exact same thing that's when you're you're acting rationally but when because it's how we feel about ourselves and we attach our self-worth to what other people are thinking about how we look it's really really multifaceted It's how we, if we look at when we're saying having a meal or you're at work or a parent, and I think there was someone, I think one of the, the, the people in the group put something in about their mom making a comment about their food. And I have, I was creating a video on that um, before I went on to hear uh, when people are making comments about food, it's their own insecurity of how they feel about themselves being put onto you. And it's not fair to do it. It's just not fair. Like people do it. Um, people always kind of, I'm very lucky with the people I surround myself with. I like people will say, should you be having that? You're a PT, you're not meant to be having ice cream. I'm like, I'm pretty content right now. So I'm not going to listen to you. It's, you need to ask yourself, like every single person has an opinion. Opinions are like, are like bum holes. Every single one of us has one. Doesn't mean you have to listen to it. You need to ask yourself, why are you listening to other people's advice? You have to, you have to, you have to actually want that person's or value that person's opinion to take it on board. So you could be completely listening to a random stranger and they don't know them from Adam or Marion or Trent or whatever name I can come up in my head. But yet they've said something in passing that you've latched onto. But you have to ask yourself, why is their, where is, why is their opinion? weighing so much on me right now why has that triggered me why has that annoyed me because how we feel about ourselves is the only reason things get annoyed about when other people are doing something that annoys us it's generally we do it already it's something that we do that annoys us about ourselves so like if you're at home and you think about when parents are making comments or they're trying to, oh, they're making comments about parenting or they're making comments about the, how tidy the house should be. Look inside and actually check in on yourself. Do you do the same thing? I recognize that you probably have a lot of traits that your parents have. I've realized that in the last few years. But a lot of traits that my parents have. Some very positive and some not so great. But it's the tools that we're dealt with. So I think once you drop perfection element of things and actually check in on yourself and say, right, what is good enough? Write out as an exercise on a piece of paper, one side of the page, what's a good enough week like look like with food and, and training? And on the other side, what's a perfect week? Now look at which one you can actually achieve more often than not. So good enough week will be when life ramps up, the kids get sick, stress will work, all these kinds of what's good enough on that week. That's the weeks that you're going to need to look for as a template when life ramps up. And then you create a plan for yourself in that week. Because not every week is going to go to plan, but most people don't have a plan. They don't know what they're doing. If I ask someone right now and say, what are you having for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the next two or three days? Some people won't be able to answer. And that's cool. That's cool. But if you get a shop in on a Saturday or a Sunday, it sets you up for the week that you know generally that you have something in the fridge that's going to bring you closer to your goal. You have chicken or you have fish and you know that you have two or three recipes in your head that you can use for those. 
I don't overly enjoy cooking. Your cooking doesn't need to be Michelin star. You don't need to cook separate meals for your kids. That's all a story. Don't be afraid to ask for help. That's all a story protecting you. Asking for help is a sign of strength rather than weakness. Too many people see it the other way around. Like you guys have shown so much strength by saying, hang on, I need help with my nutrition. I need help with my training. I need help with my mindset. That's a sign of strength. And no one is judging you for that. We're all here for a common cause. We're all here to improve ourselves. Just like I've had coaches. I had Jack on yesterday and Jack used to coach me back three, four years ago at this stage. I still chat to him. And there's people who I would lean on for advice regarding the podcast or whatever it may be. But it's being careful where you take that advice from. So if you're looking at social media right now and you're taking information off Big Booty Karen about how to get six-pack abs and she's just doing butterfly kicks on the ground, you're not going to do that. That's not how it works. It's like me rubbing a pen against my head and expect my hair to grow back. That's exactly what it's like. It's not how it works. So another thing that people can, we need to look at is that what the hell effect or that fuck a button mentality that people kind of create. And the what the hell effect is the actual clinical term behind it. That's what the experiments call it. Uh, Paul Dermody, who's been on the podcast and is called Pallet Brian Keynes, he calls it the fuck a button. And he has coined that. So. What the fuck a button would look like, or the, the, the I'm going to call it the what the hell effect because I don't want to annoy people with the language. So, what the what the hell effect actually means is you start off the day with the, the, the day with the best intentions. You have your you're up early, you have your decent breakfast, you have a decent lunch, you work out, have a light dinner, and then life happens. Stress happens. Some a call comes in from work or an email comes in from work. Your boss comes in says you need to do something will work or a deadline needs to be coming up. And then what happens? Your brain goes into panic mode. It goes into safety mode. You feel unsafe. What happens? For some people, they'll go full retreat mode. I won't talk. I won't eat. If I get stressed, I don't really eat. I have got a lot better at it because I put alarms onto my phone when I find, like when you guys were coming on board, I know that week was going to be really, really busy. So I needed to have my meals planned for my days. I knew when I was eating. I knew what I was having. I had to be a little bit more rigid with what I was doing. And it got me through that week. But then there's the other side of people, the other side of things when stress ramps up that the brain will quick in and we feel unsafe. So the sugary foods, more processed foods, more carbohydrate-rich foods, more fatty foods, those come into our psyche a little bit more because we're looking for a dopamine hit, which is the reward hormone to be hit in our brains to make us feel safe, to make us feel happy. But it's kind of like getting up, sticking your, a fork into a socket. It's a very, very brief feeling and you need more of it. You need more of that food to kind of light up the same epicenter again in your brain. So it's just continues and continues and continues. The food is just making you feel calm. But what other ways can you make you feel calm? Go for a walk, take a big deep breath in, write out how you're feeling, have a chat with someone, take a big deep breath in. All these things are in your control. Like it takes time, but that pause that I've spoken about an awful lot with people is pause, check in, right? Am I hungry enough for fruit here? Most people are not hungry enough for fruit. That's, mm -hmm. let's be honest. Could you take a drink of water? And then you have two cookies, you have two pastries, you, and you're kind of like, why bother at this point? So you go and order a takeaway. Now, how many people, how many of us have done that? I'll put my hands up. I've done it. 
But that was in the past. That was the old me in my early 20s. That was the old me. You feel guilty, so you double down. You keep going harder at it. You slash all your tires on your car. But that the issue is the high standards that you've set for yourself. It's back to that perfection mindset thing. So it's coming back from like, what the hell? What the hell? I might as well continue what I'm doing. Well, here, like the, the five strategies that I would always implement with people are, are pause and plan. Before you kind of go down that rabbit hole of being self-critical or self-loathing, take a moment and pause and actually say to yourself, right, what will help me here? Is it continuing as I'm going? Or is it taking, right, do I go for a walk? Do I call a friend? Do I take more time for myself? Do I take a couple of big breaths in? Do I go for a training session? What do I do? Pause and say, take that step back, react less emotion, say, right, what do I need to do for myself right now that will help me? What helps me when I get stressed? Go for a walk or ask to talk to my girlfriend. Those two things. Look at the kind of, rather than being so reactive and check it in, just say, right, let's look what the future says. Consider the bigger picture. Rather than adding one meal, tap into what your actual goal is underneath, which is most of you is kind of like improving your relationship with food, feeling better in clothes, losing weight, are generally the three things that I've seen from everyone. Just check in on the future and say, right, what next action will bring me closer to my goal? It's not restrict. It's not skip a meal. It's not, I'm going to undo this with a run or I'm going to undo this with a gym session. What next step is going to help me? Maybe it's going to do a food shop. Maybe just having a glass of water. Maybe it's going to bed. Maybe it's brushing your teeth. So you reduce the, the chances of eating. The next thing is look at the approach that you has led you to that point. Are you allowing yourself to have the cookies or the ice cream or the chocolate? on a regular basis or are you still in restriction mode and not trusting yourself around the food if that's the case one you shouldn't be dieting two the food's in control you're saying you want control but the food's in control because what happens is there's i'm sure i can't remember the name of the actual terminology for it but it's like what's the difference between what's the difference when you having the fifth cookie and the third cookie or the second cookie there's no real difference because that reward hormone that you're looking for in the epicenter in your brain, that stops and dilutes after about two things. It could be less or more for some people, but it does dilute. But too many people are feeling self-loathing. They're feeling shame, guilt cycle. They're not even aware. They're just going hand to mouth, hand to mouth, hand to mouth. But if you check in on yourself and point and say, right, what do I need right now? Am I allowing myself to have those foods? What would, the, what would the person I'm wanting to become do right now? The next big step is forgive yourself. This guilt has been learned. It's a protection tool against what other people are thinking. I don't know where people learn this from, but we all look from social acceptance. That's a big thing. I understand that bit. But to be so self unself aware of that you think everyone is aware of what you're doing or that you're so self-absorbed that you think everyone cares what you do on a daily basis is mind-boggling. No one really cares. Like, you're not thinking right now, I wonder what Shane had for lunch. I wonder what Shane's doing right now. 
what if Shane's trained today? What if Shane's had ice cream today? Like you're not asking those questions. You're projecting how you feel about yourself and expecting everyone else to really give a shit. I can truly say to you, nobody really gives a shit. And that's hard to hear for some people. And the last one is, look at your environment. Check in on your environment. Have you got support around you? Have you got multi-packs in the house? Where are the foods? Are they in the cupboards or on the, are they on the tables or where are they? Look at your environment. So those are in relation to the what the hell effect. Pause and plan. Look into the future. Look at your approach. Forgive yourself and look at your environment. All right. So there's those ones. The next one is a bit of, uh, I think I'm going to do this in a separate episode, which is around the psychology of the weighing scales. Because when people step on the scales, they were like, oh, it's gone up. So I have failed. It's like, no, you haven't. No, you haven't. That's you attaching how you see yourself and how you see your self-worth onto the scales. That's exactly what that is. Because you're not even looking for the weighing scales to go down or to read a certain number. You're looking for a downward trend each time you step onto it. But that's the perfection thing. It's not going to go down every time you step onto it. And we create these stories of, oh, I've eaten more last night, so it must be that. I had carbs last night, so it must be that. So we blame carbs. Oh, I drank last night, so it's gone up, so it must be that. Yes, all those things can be a factor, but sometimes it goes up for because it wants to. We have no control over it, but we have control over what we react. The scales will go up. That's a fact. Like if you were to do an experiment and step on it every day for 30 days, you'll see the trends. You'll see the trends. Like if you were to step on a fasted and then in the morning, uh, having gone to the bathroom already, no food, no water, and then try to drink two liters of water, try not to eat with those two liters of water, do that in a couple of hours, step onto the scales again. That scale is going to go is, is going to go up again. But you've done nothing wrong. All you've done is have water. So that make water bad for us. They're the types of stories that you create around carbohydrates, fats, sugar, all these different things. But you just had water. Does water make it bad for us? Well, we need water to live. Can you die from too much water? Yes. Can you die from too little water? Yes. But does that make water bad for us? Knowing that we need it. So it's thinking rationally rather than emotionally. We touch emo- we attach emotions to the scales. We attach how we see ourselves to that weighing scales. And then that can ultimately lead us to go to the what the hell effect or food as a way. It's like, what's the point here? Like it's gone up. So mothers continue go- it going up. It's like, all right, take a step back saying, right, let's pause. How is this going to help me? What's this going to achieve? The car tire example again. Would you slash all your tires if one blew up? No. Check in yourself and write the big question. Like it's great people are tracking calories. It can help people. But the number one thing that I would always recommend people to track is their adherence. Are you Have you done everything possible this week? If the answer is yes, well, then you must not to worry about it. If the answer is no, I would look at your adherence and why you're not adhering. Is it too rigid an approach? Is it not flexible enough? Is it too flexible? Is it adding to your life or taking away from your life? Is it not allowing you to have moments with your family and not allowing you to have drinks? Like what, what is it? So one other thing that could potentially derail someone is their approach going into things. It's that restriction approach. Look at your approach. 
are you allowing yourself to have the foods you enjoy? Those soul foods that are good for the soul. Each day, look at your approach. That could be what's derailing you. It's not you that's derailing you. It's the approach that's derailing you. But you're so bought in emotionally to that. That's the only way to get to where you want to go. That's the only thing you ever use. Because you don't know and you don't see any better because you haven't been taught how to do it. And that's the biggest thing I see. And I can see there's a comment here in the group. I found, my, I found weighing myself daily has helped to take emotion out of it 90% of the time. It's become data as me as opposed to how I measure my self-worth for the day. Like, that's some powerful shit after two weeks. So thank you for sharing that. I'm not going to say your name because I know it goes out as a podcast and I want to keep everyone kind of private. But those who are seeing in the group and now are watching this, that's powerful. So I'm going to read it again. I found weighing myself daily as it helped take emotion out of it 95% of the time. It's become data to me as opposed to how I measure myself worth for the day. But I, what you've hit said, that there is powerful. You said 95% of the time. There are, I, I don't have a weighing scales. I just have no interest. But if I do step on the scales, I'm trying to gain weight or trying to lose weight and it goes up or down. I'm kind of like, don't get me wrong. There is an emotional element to it. But I know what the emotional element is to it. I know what the logical answer to it is. Like, right, have I done everything possible here? Have my measurements gone up or down in two weeks? Nothing's changed for two weeks, but then I need to change the approach. Have I been adherent first, though? Too many people are trying to, like, I'm going to go, because nothing's changed in the weight scales for four days, I'm going to undo everything. I'm going to go the most restrictive mentality I can go because nothing's ever going to change. You're afraid of letting go of that restriction mindset. But to, to have achieved that after two weeks about that, that kind of like letting go of that power on the scales must be freeing. Like that can take years and years and years of therapy for some people. And that doesn't make them less or better than anyone. It just has different constraints on people. But as you said, 95% of the time, you haven't said it's completely gone, but it rarely completely goes. But it's using that, that perspective. It's, it's letting go of that emotion element to it. Another thing that kind of comes into when we kind of like look at kind of like the derailing aspect behind it is the people-pleasing side of things. So no one's a people-pleaser. That's going to hit home because you're not a people-pleaser. You do things for other people because it makes you feel warm and fuzzy. So people-pleasing isn't about what you do for the other person. Think about it. I think it was in France that they, I think someone said it was like, there's no such thing as a thankless task. So when you give money to charity, it makes you feel warm and fuzzy. Case in point. When you do something for someone else, it's a way for you to feel socially accepted, validated, feel nice and warm inside. That's why we do things for other people. There's not just things a thankless effort, thankless task. You're looking for that rather than looking at what you need. So you're putting everyone else's needs first to get that a bit of validation and acceptance for yourself. But when you get it, it's very fleeting. It's like when you eat something. It's that dopamine re reward goes off in your brain, but you need more of it to get the same buzz again. So the people-pleasing isn't pleasing people. It's pleasing you. It's giving you what you want. It's almost like an ego stroke. But what it's saying is everyone else is more important than me. That's essentially what people-pleasing is saying. 
But the, the analogy that comes into my head now is when you're on a plane, what happens? The people the, over the intercom say, put on your own mask first before your kids. It's the exact same thing with life. Like I could sit here all day talking to you guys, talking to my clients all day. Don't eat, don't train, don't look after myself, don't go out for a walk, don't sleep. Be stressed to the absolute max. But what's that going to achieve? I won't have the energy to do this because these are quite like the podcasts or the, the Q&As. I love doing them, but I come off that I'm like, mm. the shoulders drop afterwards because I'm talking nonstop for God knows how long. But if I hadn't trained beforehand, I would be knack too knackered afterwards to train afterwards. So people, please check in on yourself. That potentially, that need for, that's coming from somewhere in childhood. Grief, trauma, parents not showing you enough things. Enough love, appreciation, because we attach things as kids to a narratives around things. Maybe, so a parent came home late for your birthday one year. So you create a story saying, oh, well, I'm not good enough or I'm not beautiful enough. So we attach that story to that. So whenever someone else rejects us each time, we feel that narrative and that grows and that becomes the truth. That's how quickly it can grow and can escalate. Kids, as kids, we create stories around things. I can't remember the name of the person that Dr. Libby Weaver was on. And she spoke about that very, very different thing, that very thing. That as kids, we create these narratives around different scenarios and we create them and we latch onto them. And when that thing happens again or gets that gets fueled again, we latch onto it again and say it must be a truth rather than it's a belief. A belief is a story. Story is not a truth. So with people pleasing that, can that derail someone? Yes. But that's by choice because you're looking for other people's appreciation. If you had 7 billion or 8 people, people in the world right now turn around to you and say, insert name, you're amazing. You're not going to believe them. So you don't need validation. You want validation. Two very different things. Need and want. Two very different things. Look at what emotional needs you're not getting for yourself. Are you putting yourself first? No. So how, that's going to chip away at your self-worth each time. So how do we regenerate your self-worth is you put yourself first that little bit more. Is it always possible? No. But if you do it more often than not, it will re-go. It will re-grow. Talk to a counselor. I genuinely believe everyone should be in therapy. Every single person should be in therapy at some point in their lives. That's my opinion. Doesn't mean it's fact, but I would be fairly certain that most people should be in therapy. Because there's so much stuff going around people's heads, they don't know how to deal with things. Genuinely, people have these stories, beliefs that they create in order to get through the day but they're not really getting through the day. They're just surviving the day. And then at the end of the day, they're absolutely knackered because they haven't eaten all day. And then they expect to not pick in the evenings because they haven't planned anything. See the vicious circle? The other thing that could potentially derailing someone is the lack of planning, lack of, lack of organization, winging things. Like I guarantee like there's some people watching this recorded. You know your work things are coming up. You know you can't make it at 1 p.m. to come to this which is cool, but you know your work meetings. When are your self-care meetings? I know my self-care meetings are in the morning, first thing in the morning. I know they're straight after the end of the day before dinner. And they're literally going for walks. 
I don't put a timer on them. I literally stick a podcast in and go for a walk. doesn't matter what distance it is. Just go for a walk. Calms me down. Get some fresh air. Sometimes I'll habit stack and ring my parents or ring my brother. But it's time for me. Self-care time. You have all your meetings sorted in life. You know when your kids are doing things. You know when you're going on holidays. But where do you think during the week? So your lack of your lack of when people say I'm busy, I'm like, okay, so how can you be busy if you don't know what you're doing? Yes, there's a lot of things going on, but you, you don't know what to say yes or no to. So no wonder we get overwhelmed. Um, one of the other things that can kind of come into it is self-worth a little bit um, and kind of come into it as well. So you, one of the big things that kind of comes into is you don't believe you're worth investing in. Uh, you don't think it's worth the effort to lose weight. You don't believe you deserve to lose weight. You don't believe that you deserve to feel good. You don't deserve that people can like you. You don't believe that you can get out of your comfort zone, that you don't want results. You engage in people-pleasing behaviors. You work longer hours rather than looking at your after your health. You won't go for that promotion or pay rise because what's the point? Someone else is just going to get it. Some people will use alcohol to numb pain, emotional eating, and then you believe you'll be worthy or more worthy when you'll lose weight. So a lot of those can kind of come in. So one of the big things that can happen with people is they don't know where to start and they don't have specific goals. When someone says to me, I want to lose weight, I'm like, but why? And they're like, what do you mean? It's like, I want to lose weight. It's like, but why do you want to lose weight? I don't know. I was like, but you're, you're not clear on it. You don't, know what, you don't know what you want to do. You want to lose weight. Great. But why do you want to lose weight? Because I want to feel better in my clothes. Why do you want to feel better in your clothes? Because I want to get into confirmation photos. Why do you want to get into confirmation photos? Because I want my kids to have memories of me when I go. And that's dark and grim, but there's an emotional reason and an emotional attachment behind it. Another funny one, and less morbid, could be, and I've had this in clients, is I want to, why do you want to feel more comfortable in clothes? Because I want to feel better in a dress. Why do you want to feel better in a dress? Because I want to get the ride from one of the lads that's all at a wedding. So there's different ones. They're all emotional attachment. They all involve some element of emotional thing behind it. And a lot of people just think that weight loss is going to solve their problems. It's not. It's not. Like I know there's there's times where I can push things with training. I know there's times I could push on a diet if I wanted to. Like I've got two holidays coming up in the next five or six weeks, but I'm not actively going after losing weight. I know my exercise is increasing now because of football as a byproduct, I need to make sure I'm fueling myself. So now is not the right time. One, I don't want to. I feel I, I just feel comfortable with things right now. So I don't want to push. But we never change anything if we feel comfortable. Case in point. I've no interest. I'm happy where things are right now, content with where things are right now, comfortable where things are right now. And that's okay if you're at that point. I've only ever seen clients where they, where they properly change if they feel really uncomfortable and ask you uncomfortable questions. They're the ones that make generally the lasting results and make the lasting behavior changes and mindset changes. The ones that make the small ones and then kind of let go of that are the ones that are happier with those 
those self-attachment stories or those self-worth stories or those people-pleasing tendencies that never actually rectify. And that's cool. That's up to them. And if they're happy with that, great. The other thing that can help to derail people is they don't make the effort. People are like, oh, it's too hard. It's like, it, should, it's, it should be a little bit a little bit difficult. You don't get your position at work on your first day. It's the emotional attachment to it. Not, word, not thinking that you're worthy of time, money, energy, whatever it may be. It just it, you just put that first. That's why I had an episode previously about fear of investing in yourself. Previously, it's like, well, what's what's this? What's, what's going to be different this time? You put how you see yourself on top of them. And yes, there are financial implications, and everyone there are people who are struggling out there. I'm not talking to those people. I'm talking about the people who are in a position to invest in themselves. And maybe there's not enough of a leeway. I remember having a conversation with someone during two weeks ago. And they were looking to invest with me. And I, they were about to give me the kind of the card details on the welcome call. And I just kind of said to them, like, I don't think you're ready for this. So I could have taken that client on as a person, but I was like, I don't think you're ready for this. And they're like, I'm just giving my money. It's like, I don't think you're ready because I don't believe anything's really going to change for you. And they got a little bit annoyed and rightly so. But they messaged me yesterday and said, thank you for that. I wasn't ready, but I needed to hear that. So what they did instead was they invested that money into going to talk to someone. Because there was so much stuff going on externally for them that they didn't know how to deal with it. And fear was the coping mechanism. But they saw, they allowed that emotional reaction that they had of getting annoyed at me happen, which was cool. I'm fine with that. But then they kind of let go of that emotional attachment, brought in self-awareness and sort of perspective and saying, right, what can I do for myself this time? And they've gone and invested themselves and took on to talk to someone. So it's a big, big thing. So what other thing can happen? You don't give it your best. You don't prioritize yourself. You don't, you don't prioritize the things that are going to bring you closer to your goal. You try to change everything and don't do anything. You allow toxic relationships to kind of infiltrate what you want to do you care what other people are thinking so much you won't be accountable to anything or anyone and there's not enough leverage so to improve the self-worth element of it you need to look at what do you like and you need to figure out why you want to do something Like, why do you go to work every day? You don't go to work motivated every day. But there's enough leverage there behind it. And there's landed for two or three of you during the week in your check-ins. Like, okay, this is actually makes sense now. It's like, you can't rely on motivation. You don't go to work motivated every single day. I don't care where it says that you don't. But you go to work. Why? Because you don't get paid. If you don't get paid, what happens? You can't provide for your family and your kids. You can't keep the roof over your head. So there's your why. There's a lot of things that can really kind of derail, but generally it's us that are in control of how we react. And that's the main element of it. How we react to perfection, how we are, how aware are we 
do we take the right approach through restriction or not through restriction? Do we improve our relationship with food? Do we reduce overwhelm by trying to change one thing at a time? Do we not react to the scales emotionally? Do we use a rational point of view with kind of not letting one meal derail us? Do we not blame others and actually take social responsibility for ourselves? Do we reduce people pleasing? Do we look at our self-worth and maybe go into counseling? Do we... So if I was to look at three things, what can you do? 80-20 rule. 80% wholesome foods, 20% foods that you enjoy and sell foods daily. That's why I would do it. Focus on one meal at a time and go from there. And then the last one is just do something. Do something that's going to bring you to your goal. That could be drinking water, that could be going to sleep, that could be putting your phone down, that could be ringing a friend. Just do something that's going to bring you to your goal. So 80-20, one meal at a time, do something. They're the three things that will reduce that emotional element behind people's reactions. If you reduce the emotional reaction and use perspective a hell of a lot more, things will change. If every time that scales goes up or every time that meal that you necessarily didn't have planned or that takeaway comes into it or that meal out or those few drinks, you have a choice in how you react. Remember that. No one else can make you do anything. Not Karen in the office, not the comments at home about what you're eating. No one can make you do anything that you don't want to do. Check in yourself when that happens. What do you want to do? What's going to help you here? If you want to have that cake, have that cake. If you don't want to have the cake, no thank you. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. Remember that. So hopefully that episode has helped. If you have questions, pop them below. I will be here for about another two minutes. Um, so if you have questions, pop them below and I will answer them. If you do not, I will leave them in the group and I'll answer those there again. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please do tag it up on your stories and tag me and it will be out as a podcast in on Wednesday, the 26th of April. How the hell is it nearly May? Mental. Um, so yeah. So guys, thank you so much for listening and I will talk to you very, very soon.